Hey folks, I'm Bart Campolo, and this week's episode of Humanize Me is sponsored by Bob Cleary and the Humanize Me Facebook page. That's right, look, most of you know that I don't use Facebook. I don't even know how to use Facebook. I am willfully ignorant of the Facebook thing. But I have heard through the grapevine that there are hundreds of people using this, using this technology. Um, and actually Bob Cleary is one of them. And a few months ago, he started with my permission, a Facebook page for humanize me aimed at creating a place for, for listeners to have to, to talk with each other, to discuss things, to, to feedback and, and, and move around. And I got to tell you, I've talked to a number of people who say it is a wonderful conversation. I was talking to a guy just yesterday who said, that he goes on lots of different discussion boards and, and and feedback things on the on the internet, and a lot of times they're snarky and there are trolls and there are people being mean to each other and arguing in kind of harsh ways. But he said that Bob's page, Bob moderates this page in such a way that it is a really warm and yet kind of provocative page where people really do disagree with each other, but they do it in this kind way that sort of, I think, reflects the vibe we're trying to create with the podcast itself. So if you haven't checked out the Bob's Facebook page, it's the Humanize Me Facebook page. You should go there and check it out. And uh, I'd love to know what you're thinking about it and what you hear, hear about it. I'm going to start checking in. I'm, I'm, I'm having um, a kid come over and teach me <laughs> how to use Facebook enough so that I can check out that page. So uh, I can't promise that I will weigh in because that would sully me as a Facebook kind of pure person. Um, but go for it. There you go. All right. That's, that's, the, that's the pitch. Now let's get on with the show. You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, I promised that I would be making a series of bonus podcasts about how to start a humanist community from scratch because I kept hearing and I keep hearing from people out and about in the world who say, I would love to be part of a community like the one you'd, you've created there at USC, the student community, the Secular Student Fellowship at USC. But, you know, there's nobody here or there's nothing. I, I, I've looked for a community like that and I haven't found one. I, maybe they found an angry atheist club or maybe they haven't found anything at all. And for so many of those people, the only answer to finding fellowship is going to be to create it for yourself. And so I, I, I've, I've had so many conversations like that that I thought, OK, I'll do a series of podcasts. And I, and I did one. That, that, and the first bit of salient advice I gave was that you want to start talking with people about this thing you're dreaming up. You want to start dreaming out loud and talking out loud and seeing who shows interest. And, and that what will happen will be if you, if you reveal to people that you're hungry for this sort of thing and that you're thinking of trying to pull something together, but you're not exactly sure what it should look like, you'll end up in a lot of conversations and some of those people will stand out to you as potential partners. 
And uh, so I put that out there and I almost immediately heard from a friend of mine in Belfast. And now here's the thing. At the end of this podcast, as, as I'm doing at the end of podcast, I'm throwing bonus things in. I'm throwing songs in, Ingersoll readings in. This week, I'm not going to do an Ingersoll reading because I, my friend in Belfast, his name is Rick Johnston, and he is a deconverted minister or ministry student. He was a seminarian. I think he actually did some church stuff. Anyway, Rick is a writer and one of his friends wrote to me and shared a story that Rick had written. And, and evidently as part of his own transition and, and, and sort of working through his baggage with the church, he's been rewriting Bible stories from different angles, sort of thinking about the Bible as literature and then thinking that maybe some of it is not such, not such positive literature and trying to rethink it in other ways. And so I got him to read one of his stories for me. And I'm going to share that at the end of the show. It's, it's, it's a story about Lot's wife. And I think you're going to really dig it. Um, but before we get to that, in the context of getting the story from Rick, he mentioned to me that he had heard the podcast. And yeah, he was thinking about starting something. And, and he, with great delight, a few days later, sent to me this long document about the community that he was starting. Like, we're, gonna, we're not a church. We're this. And we're going to do these things. And these are our values. And... And, you know, I'm going to try to tell, I'm going to try to talk about a lot of things that you should do in starting a community. But as soon as I read Rick's manifesto, I flashed back to a manifesto of my own that I wrote when I moved to Cincinnati. And we were getting started. We, were, we moved in with a few families into this Walnut Hills neighborhood. And we were going to do this kind of wonderful community thing together. And I was so excited about it that I wrote a manifesto pages of this is what we're going to do and this is how often we'll meet and this is how we'll handle common money and these are the people we will serve and I sent it around to all my neighbors not all of them but the the ones that were kind of there on purpose with me to do something good together and man were they pissed off they were like who do you think you are Telling us how it's going to be. Who do you think you are setting yourself up as the grand leader? And I, I thought I was vision casting. And they thought I was dictating. And boy, I, you know, I got some really funny emails. Now, the great thing were these guys were old friends of mine. And they knew me. And so they were just like, oh, Bart, you've done a Bart thing. You've, you've gone too far. You've, you, think you're the, you think you're the leader of the, of the free world. And uh, they gently put me in my place and said, you know, we have some ideas too, and we'll see how it goes. And I learned a really valuable lesson. And, and this is the lesson. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to tell you that in the process of getting any community started, there's going to be some hesitation. So there's going to be some uh, temptation that is to write things down. Don't do it. No manifestos. No vision statements. No value, no, no list of values. Um, and above all, no names. I, people love to name things. They're going to like come up with clever names. We're going to call it, you know, um, the door. Or we're going to call it, you, you know, the, the San Diego humanist gathering or whatever. People want to name things. Don't name it. No manifestos, no names. Let it grow organically when you're ready to go it's it don't don't even when you have a bunch of people 
that are interested in doing it. Figure out a regular meeting time. You can do that. Pick a night and say, Sunday nights, we're going to gather at my house at Sunday nights for, for starters at, at seven o'clock. That's fine. That's about as much order and structure as you want. Because for the first part of whatever it is that you're doing, you're just going to be trying stuff out. You'll, you, you, you'll see if you should do a potluck dinner or maybe that won't work so well. And so one person, you'll take turns cooking. Maybe you won't have dinner. Maybe it'll be a book group. Maybe you'll try doing it a book group and you realize that like the book gets in the way and people feel guilty for not reading it. So then you'll want to do it like a sharing circle. Um, maybe you want to take turns bringing an idea or bringing an article and discussing it. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll want to watch a Ted talk and, and a lot of people do that. I don't know what you're going to do, but you don't know what you're going to do either. And what you think you're going to do may be really different than what you end up doing. When Marty and I first moved to Cincinnati, we thought we were going to open a thrift shop. Then we thought we were going to open a laundromat. And in the end, what we ended up doing was having a weekly dinner party on Monday nights. And I would have never imagined that from the start. And it was not in my manifesto. And, uh, yeah, you, you can get jammed up. You, you, sometimes people, once they write stuff down, it gets set in stone and then everybody else feels left out. Everybody else isn't part of the, isn't part of the creation process. So what you want to do is you want to get your people together and start trying stuff out. Try, start trying to figure out what's the best way for you and your friends, the, the, the core group, to be together. And there's the second thing you don't want to do. When you do figure out that meeting time, do not make any posters. Do not make it a meetup group. Do not advertise. You do not want every humanist or every secular person or within, you know, 10 miles of you to come to it. Because if everybody comes and you, before you figured out a cool way of being together, they'll all come. It'll be a chaotic mess. Everyone will have a terrible time and nobody will come back. Yeah. These things need to grow both in terms of the form the content and the actual participants, they need to grow organically. And, and, and so what I mean by that is, is in the beginning, you know, when you're talking with your friends, it may just be four or five of you that get together. Or maybe you invite somebody, each of you invites one friend who you know kind of wants the same thing. And you get together and you talk about it and you try some stuff out. And you say, well, well, nobody's going to be impressed if there's only six people or eight people at the first meeting. My goodness. You want only six or eight people at the first meeting because the first meeting is probably going to suck. And so you only want people there that are sort of going to try to fix the suckage. You don't want to advertise. You don't want to start off with a bang because things that start off with lots of people tend to shed lots of people really fast. And the reason is, it, let's say you put up a, a, a meetup page and everybody comes and they go like, I'm looking for a warm fellowship where I'll be welcomed. And all these strangers come in and everybody's standing around waiting for somebody to greet them. Everybody's standing around waiting for somebody to make them feel welcome. But nobody's there to make them feel welcome because everybody's the new person. See, at USC, we started out with like five people. And we had dinner for like 10 people. And then there was somebody to greet everybody and everybody felt welcome. And then with those 10 people, we sort of figured out like, okay, this is the way that we hang out. These are the kind of conversations we have. Yeah, it works better if I give a little talk after dinner 
I don't say too much before dinner. Hey, those, we, we started putting questions on the table. And I'll talk about all the different things that we do at USC over the course of these podcasts. But once we figured it out, then people started inviting their friends. But when they would invite a friend, they would say, yeah, this is kind of what we do. And, and this is who will be there. And when the new person would come, there would be 10 people that would go, a new person. Hey, I'm Bart. Hey, I'm Janice. Hey, I'm Mary. And all of a sudden, that person felt really warm and welcome. And sometimes they would kind of get, they would get with the flow. Because, you know, 10 people were doing the same thing. The 11th person sort of falls in line. And if they liked it, they would come back and they would become part of it. And then two weeks later, somebody else would come and, and they could greet them. It's kind of like a, it's, it's kind of one of those things where at any given time, your group has a carrying capacity for new people. You can only enfold so many new people at a time. And that number is much less than the number of regulars you have. So when you start out with only five people that are into the idea, you don't want 20 new people to come. You want two. I hope this is making sense. I mean, there's no audience in front of me to nod and say, yeah, yeah, I get it, Bart. I get it. Meetups, posters, all that stuff. Those are your enemies. You want to start small and let it build slowly because then it will actually become a thing. The, the other thing is if you get a bunch of different people coming that you don't know, everybody will have a different idea of what should happen. And somebody's personality might be stronger than yours. And all of a sudden you do have an angry atheist club or you have somebody going like, you know what? We want to be inclusive of all, uh, you know, I'm but Christians can come and Muslims can come and we'll just celebrate all things. And all of a sudden you'll have a Unitarian Universalist church, which isn't a bad thing, but it's not what you're doing. So in a sense, you're starting a band and, and there's nothing wrong with a funk band or a polka band or a, a, a um, klezmer band, but they're not the same thing. And so when you're starting a band, you start with a couple of friends and you get a kind of music. And then when somebody else comes in and they have a different idea of a different kind of music that they want to play, we go, you go like, oh, well, you should start a band too. And, and, you know, I actually know somebody who's into klezmer music. I'll send them your way. But we're doing this. We're doing this. But when you get a bunch of people together and the first conversation is what kind of band should we have? You're going to have a shitstorm. And so that is today's lesson is not what to do, but what not to do. And, and it's funny because when I, as soon as I, I wrote to, to Rick, I said, oh man, this is, this is great ideas you've got here. I love your vision. Don't send this to anybody. And he wrote back and he said, I sent it to one guy, but I, I asked him to send it back. I said, I told him don't to read it. And, uh, and we had a good laugh over that because it was this mistake that, you know, that sometimes zealous community builders make. And I had made it and he had made it. And so, we, we, you know, it was fun to talk about it, but he immediately grasped, oh yeah, I see what you're saying. It's kind of like a restaurant that has a soft opening, you know, that, that, that gets the food right. They, they try stuff out before they actually start advertising. And that's what you want to do. I'm not sure you'll ever want to advertise because if you do this thing right, it'll be so gloriously fun that people will naturally bring along both people they think will be cool and enjoyable to have as part of the group and also kind of lonely people that they think need to be part of the group. And both of those are great people for you to have. Okay, so that's it. That's what not to do. No names, no manifestos, no posters. 
Um, no meetups. Let it grow organically. All right, so here's the big transition. Because I've got a special treat for you. At the end of these podcasts, I've been playing music or reading Ingersoll. Uh, there's always a little bonus thing. And today's bonus, I'm so excited about Rick, who I just talked about in, the, in, 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 you know, in, in that part of the podcast. Rick has written a whole series of just beautiful short stories that I love. That was how I originally got introduced to him. And um, I asked him to read one for the show. Now, before, like for some of you, I, I'm glad this is a podcast and not a broadcast because I kind of want you to stop listening right now and either open up your Bible to Genesis 19 or open up Wikipedia. It turns out that Lot has his own Wikipedia page. The character of Lot from the Bible has his own Wikipedia page, which tells his story really well. Um, but you're going to want a little background if you don't have it. If you're a hardcore secularist and you've never really been in touch with your inner Old Testament um, and you don't know who Abraham is or his nephew Lot, who was really more like a brother to him, who traveled around with him and eventually they like divided the land and one went south and one went north and Lot ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, if you don't know the story of Lot, the, the Rick's story won't resonate as well with you. But for those of us that grew up in church, I think you're really going to like this. And uh, even if you didn't, I think you're really going to like this. So uh, here's my friend Rick Johnston. If you, if you want to read the story in print, uh, I'll have a link to it on the, at bartcampola.org on this, on, on this episode. Um, yeah, Rick, take it away. My husband's feet are bleeding as I stumble after him on the hillside. Behind me, I can hear the bombardment of the Twin Cities begin. Inside, my friends will be dying. My husband's uncle sent informants to warn us an attack was planned. They came last night with the message, their strange clothes a trumpet for trouble. They never asked me my name. I hate that. The locals knew right away they were alien, so they sent the shaven-headed zealots to take a look. Someone from the southern gate ran and told them there were strangers in town. It was always dangerous to rouse the Hadadim during one of their ceremonies. Hypnotic smoke and secret preaching make them feel invincible. They are followers of the mysteries of the god Hadad. He is a storm god, one of the most important Baals of the valley. Just what we needed around here. A bad weather god. The fanatics had ruined my home. Boneheads preaching the purity of the cities and spreading their rituals in every household. It would not have been long before they turned their eyes to us, one of the only foreign families left. Look at my husband now, sweating, bleeding from his feet. He cannot believe he has survived. I wish he hadn't. He holds my two daughters' hands as if he cares about them. He didn't care that much last night. If he is one of the righteous, I'm an ass. Last night the Hadadim came to our door to question the visitors. It looked like the whole district had rallied. My husband refused them entry so the crowd got angry. They hated when anyone hindered their authority. Filthy gar, they started. They were calling us that more frequently. Travellers, sojourners. Outsiders, the silk merchant's son shouted. His father had told me how disgusted he was his son had joined the fanatics. Lusty stallions sniffing the air for power, he sighed to me. We want to know them better, laughed one of their leaders, pumped with the power of his own preaching. We closed the windows and the messengers conferred with my husband. My giggling daughters offered them more wine. 
like beautiful blossoms. They fawn too much on men. Enough wine, I scolded. Men and wine would be their downfall, I could tell. My daughters are too young to understand the stupidity of men, both of them engaged to locals. They were silly young things, but at least I knew both their mothers. My team and poor dad were kind women and doing everything they could to shield their sons from the extremists. Together we were preparing sweet treats for the joint wedding. My daughters withdrew to their sleeping mats and my husband asked me to take the wine back to the food store. As I entered, he closed the door behind me and slid a plank over the rests. I thought he was protecting me, but then I heard him open the front door and speak to the crowds. If you want something from us tonight, take my two girls. My blossoms! They haven't yet been with a man. You can do what you like with them. Son of a whore. I battered at the door. I could hear the crowd laughing. We will teach your daughters our ways another time, the leader shouted. For now we will teach a lesson to your strange friends. Show them. I heard the door being forced shut and my husband approached the store. He lifted the wooden bolt and I jumped at him, swinging a bowl of spices towards his head. He grabbed my hand before it hit him. Cumin and salt spilled to the ground. Stop, woman. We must leave this evening. The city is to be attacked. Yes, my bal. I spat back. We sat in silence until the crowd got bored and went looking for others to bully. We left the city gates later that evening and the messengers pulled the heavy gates shut behind us, sealing the people in. Don't look back, was the last thing they warned us. How dare they? They said they were messengers from the desert god, the god of the nomads, the uncle of my husband's people. The people who claimed this land would be their own one day. No wonder the city didn't trust us. But I will look back. I turn from the fleeing heels of my husband and look on the city. I defy any man or El or Baal to stop me. A storm of fire and smoke envelops the walls. I cannot tell if it has fallen from the skies or exploded from within. In the distance, Gomorrah too is burning. The smell is drifting this way. The terrible smell. The ash falls on my outstretched hands. I can hear Lot calling me to keep up. My fingers begin to tingle. My daughters are crying. But my friends are in there, in that oven. The silk merchant and his foolish son. The husbands promised to my daughters. Their kind mothers. No wedding. No dancing. No treats. Who does this? Who enjoys this? Couldn't a more skilful god use a surgeon's knife and cut out the leaders? Who is this curmudgeon who only has a hammer? Is his eyesight that bad? I lick the ash from my fingertips and it tastes of salt. My feet begin to lose their feeling and my tongue begins to slow its movements. Water rushes into my mouth to soak up the saline. So this is my punishment for pity. This is what curse I receive for daring to look back. Curse to the earth in salt so that others one day can take the land. Then so it goes. I will become my tears. If you never know my name, know what I did. I dared to look through what gods claim in the crooked mouths of men. We will look together and not be quieted. We will see what is done in the lust for land and power. Though our names are forgotten, our tears will boil and rise up as pillars of salt. We will be witnesses when no one else will look. 
We are the question mark to those who dare rewrite the story. I am not Lot's wife. I am the tears shed upon the earth. I will always look back. For more information about the work of Bar Campolo, please visit barcampolo.org.